1: Hey there, I'm Caleb Roach with c Consulting, where we combine strategy with implementation and focus on building long-term customers through data-driven decision-making. With experience working with both small and large companies, we have the experience to help businesses create strategic marketing plans that's focused specifically on businesses' strengths, not just a one-size-fits-all template-based strategy.
0: Oh, that's good. That is tied right into the topic. I love that intro because I feel like I heard the word strategy at least three times, maybe four.
1: Yeah, that's not keyword stuffing, I promise. It's actually <laughs> real. That's all right.
0: No, that's perfect. I'm okay with the keyword stuffing right now. Yeah. So, Caleb, this is going to be a great episode because. This is something that I think a lot of people are mystified about and they skip over it. And uh, it's such a disaster when you skip over it and you realize I get so many firms coming to me and after the fact and then we have to rebuild it. So I'm kind of alluding to all of this, but the, the topic and the big question for today is what is the anatomy of of a marketing strategy. So we are fo- focused this quarter on strategy, and we are talking about marketing and marketing strategy and how does it work and why do you need it and everything. But today we're going to talk about the anatomy of it. What are the pieces of it? What What does it, it mean? What is What does that all translate to? But first, let's talk about why. Why do we need to start with the strategy?
1: oh this is a question that i can't answer just kidding well one of the things that really drives strategy we see that within our cup clients and i'm assuming as you're seeing across your clients as well as a lot of businesses like to operate their marketing kind of you know shoot from the hip and so when you don't have a strategy everything seems to not be cohesive and everything's kind of all over the board so you might be posting a little bit on the social media you might be running some ads but what most people don't seem to understand on the marketing side is it all has to play in, in one side of things. And so, you know, the baseball team doesn't just have the one star player that makes them win every game. You have the you have the other people that are a part of the team that contribute to everything. And so I don't know how good that analogy was, but I we're think that's roll with so it. good because we're going to
0: roll with it. <laughs> yeah, no, let's yeah, no. Let me help you out because I feel like Let's imagine if you did just have that one-star player, you have so much risk and you have so much, everything riding on all of your eggs in that one basket. And I see this sometimes where, especially I'm sure with, you know, you hear this too, with SEO. Firms will say, and they approach me and they come in and they're like, nothing's working. Our firm is, you know, we're losing everything to our competitor. Apparently what I hear, out in the world I need SEO apparently this is the band-aid that will fix all band-aids it's the golden ticket it's whatever you know along the lines of that star player we're just gonna throw all of our our plans and money and thoughts into SEO without doing anything around it with no plan you know I, I don't know what I'm doing let's just do that so I think that that is kind of a good analogy.
1: It is. And it's there's there's a couple of different ways that you could take it, especially with this analogy. You know, you, you look at it as not only can you not have the one star player, you always have to have the, the things in the background that work really well together, which I think makes a big piece. Because let's say SEO does work for you. But what's what's the what happens, let's say we don't expect Google to ever go down. But what happens if Google ever goes down, or there's a competitor, you've invested all these resources, and then you don't have a channel, or perfect example, the Facebook outage, I I forget how long ago that was. But the Facebook outage that happened, you couldn't post on social media, if you're relying solely on social media, and you don't have a newsletter, you know, list built up, how are you going to message to clients, hey, we're not open today, or you know, if anything happens like that, that's really the a detrimental effect potentially towards your your practice and so not only on that side but then the strategic planning element of a marketing plan as well is a firm needs to establish what milestones we're gonna have within our marketing side. Because as you know, search engine optimization, it's not something that you press a light bulb and it pops up and it turns on. You know, it's a long-term effect. So how do you supplement, you know, short-term growth with a long-term strategy? And so are you gonna implement a newsletter? And how are you, you know, are you gonna start doing social media posts? But then the other piece of it too is you have to be very strategic. What social posts are you gonna be doing? Do they align with the newsletter? And it seems like a lot of firms like to jump into it and say, we need everything all at once. But sometimes like like what we were talking about earlier is you sometimes have to set milestones and say, let's get our social media. Perfect. Let's establish what we're going to be posting. Let's use that to drive decision-making across an email newsletter, or let's, let's identify trends as we're building that across hashtags and everything to understand what are people searching on Google and how can we implement that on SEO and Google ads? So I think there's a lot of different pieces that play within the anatomy of a strategy that I think all combine to, to why you actually do it because you know it's like so a client going to court on their own if you show up and say i'm going to represent myself with no strategy in mind and they, they ask the first question you know and you don't know the procedure and you don't like know how in the headlights. they don't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh yeah yeah they would be calling a lawyer right after and saying i screwed myself i need to call you right now so same perspective on the marketing side
0: Yeah. And I actually have an equivalent that I see all the time. And maybe you see this too. But I have clients approach me and say, why shouldn't I use Squarespace or Wix or, you know, do a a website on my own? And my response every single time, what I always say is, do it. Go. Go and try that out. Because in this phone call or this conversation or whatever we're talking about, I'm not going to convince you that that's not the right Approach. If you're asking that question, you're you're halfway sold on that idea. So you go try that out, and I would say well over seventy to eighty percent of the time, six months down the road, I hear from them again. like, okay, I learned the lesson the hard way. So you can make that decision. You can decide, okay, I need to go through every hard lesson that I'm going to learn in business the hard way, or I'm going to recognize that there's experts out there that I need to bring in so that I can expedite my success.
1: When it's like the same, you know, same analogy across law, why wouldn't a client use LegalZoom? It's so convenient. They can go online, they can press it, it's affordable. But there's so many different categories that people don't look at when they're operating off of that. They've done a great job advertising or cheap easy. But then if you think of the legal implications, a long-term strategy, if you put the wrong contract in place, you don't have the right clause from a professional building that, there's the $50 that you say, the $50 that you spent that let's say you saved a thousand bucks. What happens now when you get sued for 3,000 or, you know, 20,000 or an, a million? Like it, it becomes that long term. So investing in the right systems and strategies is super important across all different channels.
0: Yeah. The o- other comment I was going to make before we start dig- digging into the actual anatomy of the strategy is that when if you kind of put, throw all your eggs in the one basket. And let's say you decide that social media and you, you develop this massive account, you've it's, it's doing well. You don't own that account. You don't own your followers. You don't own any part of it. So they can shut you down at any point and you're done. And so if you you know a lot of firms do some decent social media but if you don't have a process for owning those leads and pulling them to your own website and your own email list and your own list that you do own you're really setting yourself up for huge risk
1: and you that's the thing you don't own any channel typically and that's why you always have to have backups and email newsletters and like email like all your CRM information and all the CRM information you want to be doing backups as well because <laughs> you don't own that information as well, unless you have it in an Excel file or a PDF or something like that.
0: Yeah, and thinking about your strategy in terms of all of those different channels, like you really, the most channels, there's a there's a part that you don't own. Even like if you have a certain referral, let's say, say you have a referral source. Let's say you work with a bunch of financial planners and they send you a bunch of potential clients. You don't own that either. Unless you have some exclusive contract in place with them, which most people don't, they could suddenly decide that, they don't really like you anymore and they're going to send their referrals to the other guy. So thinking in terms of all of those sources as, you know, having risk and maybe not existing forever so that you kind of have a nice, well-rounded approach is the healthiest, most sustainable way to consider it. So. Let's think about. Let's talk that through. So, what what is a well rounded approach? What is what are these pieces of marketing strategy? The anatomy, so that we are tying in the title of the show.
1: <laughs> I think we're basically like heart surgeons at this point because we're understanding the anatomy. Right, we're going to dive into this. So, um, we actually our firm or our firm specifically kind of bases our strategy off of three different elements of a principle written by, and I'm going to mention it later, but my book of choice, I won't disclose it until later. Oh, okay. All right. um, we'll, we'll, but, yes. leave yeah. well leave some mystery. Well, leave some mystery. I know everyone's wondering what yes. book I really love. I know that yes. everyone's going to listen to the end of this because of that. Yeah. Um,
0: that's why I put the book review at the yeah, end. Exactly. That's, the, that's so, the best part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I won't mention the name. So okay. It, it, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't skip ahead, please, everyone. Okay. I know you're going to, to. So it contains three elements that we kind of look at. So first is the diagnosis. Second is kind of a guiding policy and then three is coherent actions so we believe in kind of di- you know digging into three different pieces of a strategy and we think that builds kind of a, a really good guiding policy for focused action and so okay what it so is, let's break
0: it down what's so, the, the first part is diagnosis so the what do you first do there? part is
1: diagnosis so the big thing is understanding kind of an audit how are you performing currently what systems and processes do you have in place what channels are you on What is working, what isn't from their perspective? And then diving into the actual numbers. If they're using a a case management software, the CRM like Clio or Lawmatics, those types of things, where are people coming from? You know, are they coming from referrals? Are they coming from online search? Are they coming from Facebook? Those types of things. What messaging are they using? What does their website look at? You know, diving into every granular detail that you can and understanding what's working and what isn't. So I think this is
0: a part, and I don't want to skip to the next part yet, because I think this is a part a lot of people skip over. They're like, yeah, 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 we get a bunch of referrals. I already know that. I need to get more. I need more money or whatever. And it's like, until you really lay it out, and I feel like you lay it out, and then you go a little deeper, and you dig, dig, dig into each one of those, and spend... An extra minute here, an extra five minutes there, really kind of digging in. Are you sure? How many referrals do you think you got in the last month? Oh, OK. Actually, it wasn't referrals. We got five people off Facebook. Oh, I didn't really realize that until I spent that extra couple minutes digging in and like really looking at what's happening.
1: Yep. Well, that's a big thing. You know, a lot of people, they, they say, well, I found you online. And what does that really yeah. mean? You know, it like could mean it, it could be Facebook, it could be Twitter, it was on it,
0: their phone.
1: <laughs> yep, and that's the thing—you don't know if someone they say online, but did someone mention you to them, and then they decided to look you up, and then they called you, and even the tracking sources—if you set up, you know, UTM parameters and all the call tracking software—if it comes in as Google organic, is it really Google organic, or did someone hear about you in passing? And so, like you said, it, it's it's important to get very granular in the details. Understand who is the referral source that's sending it? Is is it John, the financial advisor, or is it X, a CPA? You know, and who is sending, and then also diagnosing farther and saying, why is someone referring more or why isn't someone? What's making this a very effective relationship and what is going to continue growing that? I think that's that's more obviously into the policy and action side of things, but understanding like what are, what are the key elements of actually what's bringing in their business? Why isn't Google, if you're running Google ads, why isn't Google performing? Is your are your analytics really good? You know, do you have a good click through rate? Is is your cost per thousand impressions where it needs to be? And I, again, that's where you don't want to get too granular on this podcast right now. But you know, it, it's really important to actually look at it and spend the time and actually like explore the data. What is the data telling us? We don't want to just say, "Well, Google tells us that our site is performing really well. We've got good SEO. That's all we need to know." Like, what? Where are people coming from?
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly so is this the phase where you talk about not only where it's coming from but who you really actually want to work with or is that in one of the future phases
1: so i would we typically recommend and i think everyone does it differently i'm i'm sure you guys probably have a different set and it probably coincides a little bit but we typically put this in more towards the guiding policy because that actually dictates in our opinion you know what actions you need to take forward and so that's where we look at the data and we say okay you're getting a lot of leads from Google organic but Google organic is not bringing in the right leads so if if, if they're a, if they're a probate lawyer and let's say they have search terms around criminal defense that they're ranking on if they're getting a lot of criminal you know defense cases coming in they're going that's that's man hours that they're reducing cuz they're getting a lot of calls in there's a lot of forms there's a lot of vetting if they're doing consultations that they're not vetting well on i mean that's time wasted and you know from an attorney yeah and it's billable hours that you could be working on and so one of the pieces is understanding are the from each channel not only are you getting leads but how quality are the leads that you're getting you know are you getting Okay so is that
0: players? in sorry to interrupt but is that in the second phase then this is that still where the you kind phase. of Okay, we're still in the first phase. So we look at where everything's coming from, and then you dig into it even further to say, okay, this is where it's all coming from, but what's good and what's bad in here, right? Yes.
1: And exactly. So we're going to look at the full picture, 360 view. What are you doing? What do you need to be doing? Like what do you what do you think? And even asking the questions, what do you think personally is working and what do you think personally is not? And then digging further, why is that? You know, from your own perception, why is this source doing really well or not? So you can kind of combine the data because the data can tell us one thing, but we have to combine both personalities and say From the business side, the personal side, how well do you think this is performing? What does the data tell us? And then combining the two and saying, making sure that the data is not skewed, but also the person isn't skewed at the same time. So combining those is the big piece.
0: Okay, so I'm going to back up just one step too, because when you're talking about, you're, you're saying, okay, what's working, what's not working? Where do you define what that means? Because what's working... For some of my clients, is the opposite definition. Like, some of them want more of X kind of clients. Some of them want more reputation building stuff. You know, they all have different definitions of what that success and those KPIs and those goals are. So, where do you define even that step of things before you get to looking at the data to align the data with what that definition of like working means?
1: Yeah, so from those audits and from the conversations you're having of, you know, from the personal side, from the attorney's side, what is a good lead and what isn't, those start to shape the conversations around what are you actually looking for? Because I think when you dive into the data, a lot of people, a lot of firm owners, and even myself, when we do, you know, when we look at our, our target market every quarter and decide, are we in alignment? Are we moving forward in the right direction? I really think as the business grows, your target market or your ideal client starts to shift slightly. And so it starts to move a little bit. And so that's where you can kind of see the the internal side of things of internally, we might be saying this is our best client, but looking at the revenue side, looking at how much, you know, clients are bringing in, what's our cheapest source, you know, combining on ROI, we want to combine and say, okay, your ideal client is, you know, let's say a probate client that, you know, they, they have established, but they need kind of building out like this, you know, you need to take on the case. Let's say you've got, you know, you're, you can bill a certain amount and you can make a lot of from that. But if we look at the data and say 99% of your clients are business litigation clients, how do we like they're bringing in the money. So we, we still have to focus on that. But how do we shift everything that we're doing into that? And so what we want versus what we have is a completely different story. And that's, that's what got that, that, that's what leads you into the guiding policy from our perspective, of where are you at now where you want to be? And how what do we have to shift or change to get to that point?
0: Okay, so this may go into that, that same, that's the second section, right? Guiding policy. Okay, so my next question is, let's say you take a look, and this is not necessarily just looking at the data and the numbers, but looking at like how specific content is performing. So let's say you take a look at how certain content is performing, and you say, okay, this content piece is working, quotes around working. This is getting all our traffic, You know, people are coming to it, But it's talking about DUIs, and we do not want to do DUIs anymore. We want to be doing personal injury. And so how do you take a look at things that are happening like that on your site and then, like you were saying, shift the attention and the focus into a different direction?
1: I think it's it's honestly a slow roll. You know, it has to be one of those things where I think from a messaging perspective, and I'd love to get your perspective on this because I think this is kind of a more of a, I guess touchy subject is what you could call it because some would say go more aggressive and pull everything off and go in a different direction. But from our point of view, from client's perspective, we want to be very touchy with the content that we're producing and developing. And so if we want to shift into the, the a different direction, I believe personally, you have to make it a slow roll. And so you don't want to go too slow where it takes two years to re, not rebrand yourself, but rebrand yourself from a DUI attorney to a personal injury. But I think you have to start moving and shifting because a dramatic shift in content and changes could reduce your client load, which could provide a negative impact on your business. And so it's like, it's like all the other channels. If you look at the data and say, one's not performing well, and you misidentify data, and you misidentify all the, the statistics, let's say you pull off Google ads, your business goes down. You've got you're 10 leads a out. month. Yeah. Now you're freaking out. And <laughs> yes. it's the same thing. If, if you shift and you're known as a DUI attorney and then someone goes to your site and now it's personal injury, I mean, what happens? You, you don't want to stick on the DUI side too long, but you have to move. And so that's my, I, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And you know it's like what, what the the phrase every marketer uses at all, all day every day and every attorney it depends yeah, yeah, it yeah, depends yeah. on that client so but it all ties back to strategy so let's say this client approaches us and they are in that position and they are focused really heavily on dui and they want to you know flip over to personal injury my recommendation would be Unless they have some specific reason, like maybe they had a person in their firm who solely did DUI and they're gone now, and so they, they can't focus that. Unless you have a reason like that, I would not take DUI off the table entirely. Like you don't want to remove your that whole section of your site and remove that entire approach because not only are you going to freak out when the numbers dive, but... Like the audience that you're speaking to is gonna be like what is happening over there i it seems like this like whiplash i don't understand what they're saying so if you tie it back to your strategy though if you have that positioning and your messaging and your messaging alludes to how you're experts and you know what t- you're talking about you've done this for ages you've got these testimonials that support all of these things and you understand you know people's problems and you know how to solve them those are those are universal topics that you can apply to whatever practice area. So as long as you pull it back and align it with that strategy, you can make those adjustments, but like you're saying, you have to do it kind of incrementally and and not completely abandon like, you know, just like throw that idea out of a fast moving vehicle going down the freeway. Like you're going to leave DUI there and continue to retain that traffic while adding in more attention and messaging around that new topic. Yeah, you can't that's go from to
1: suits to Better Call Saul or vice versa, right? You can't, you can't, you can't shift too quick. <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such a good visual. I love that. I'm definitely using that in the future okay, when I free. start to There's a legal disclaimer. that is That
1: phrase has been trademarked.
0: Please, yeah. <laughs> I will do that research. Yeah, yeah. I will find out. <laughs> because that's really good positioning too. So the just the kind of visuals of picturing Better Call Saul and his approach you know, and his kind of unique you know yeah if it works you know if it, as long as it works if you're doing that and it's a disaster that's a different that's a different kind of thing but you know versus suits where obviously different positioning different messaging different kind of approach and and all of that stuff so okay so let's go back so we are at the second phase of is it phase or Level, I mean, you can call calling? it
1: any. We, we call them elements. <laughs> okay. I mean, you could I, you can brand them however you want. So on that second element, which is kind of the guiding policy, this is where you really dive into. So we've seen the data. We understand from the client's perspective, from the data you know perspective, combining everything, what is traditionally working for their practice or for their firm. And then this is going to be the stage where we actually look at where do we want to go in the future. And so what is, you know, we want to straight, we want to go, we're at Better Call Saul right now, we're servicing kind of a like a different set of clients. We want to move more into a corporate level. I want to wear, you know, a $3,000 suit. I want to, you know, those types of things. And the clients that we want to work with are going to be a, a lot different clientele. And so this is going to be where we look at, where are you now and where do we need to go now? And so if you are servicing these smaller clients or these different sets of clients, This is going to be the spot where we identify what you actually need to do to get to that next level
0: and i would say the majority of people i talk to think we're going to start at that second phase they think they want to start here and they've already skipped over that first phase and you how how do you how do you even like skip to step two if you haven't figured that data and that information out about what's happening right now so I'm just going to keep repeating that whole idea like yeah don't little, it's, like, it's the
1: analogy you no know, it's <laughs> yeah. if to, to put it in layman's terms i mean it's essentially like a client going to legal zoom and using LegalZoom, having a problem come up and saying oh my gosh i went through the right steps i had a legal document an attorney is going to look at that and say okay on your business side of contract what are you doing are you taking payments are you do you host like for our side do you host the website do you do you have any client data the, the important questions that you have to ask from their perspective, because they've seen it 3000 times, is the same thing from a marketing perspective that a firm or a practice or you know firm owner has to look at is, we have to make sure that the decisions that we're making aren't based off of emotions or what we're thinking, because if we solely do that, that's gonna lead us in the wrong direction, because our heart will tell us something different than our brain and the data. And again, it on the flip side though, I have to be very careful because data, if we look at just data, that's gonna tell us a completely different story and if we look too far into that, that can lead us down the wrong path as well. Because, oh my gosh, if we look hol- holistically at, we're getting this set amount of leads, we've got this cost per lead from this channel, it's performing really well. But if those leads are are not the leads that we're actually wanting or the direction that we want to go, we can't just look at the data. Yeah. So that's where it, it comes into play of you can't skip, step one. And I know everyone says that you can't skip and it seems so tedious, the the target market, you know, everyone has the documents. Who's your ideal client? Give them a name, Jim, how old are they? How much do they make? Where do they live? Like, it seems so tedious, but one of the things that my experience previous that I always like to to kind of inform clients on is these big corporations where we all want to be, we want to be these billion dollar companies, they spend so much time learning about their customer, it is insane, the amount of resources time, money that they're throwing at this is absolutely insane. And so we like to look at them and say, wow, they are so smart. They just know every action they take is just, it's, it's incredible and they have these big agencies. But from my experience, you know, working with a, a quick service restaurant chain, the second largest private QSR chain in the United States, they have a specific department just for consumer insights. And so the products that they develop, they have a culinary team that brings it to the consumer insights department. They spend time researching how soggy is the meat or how soggy is the bun, or does the bun, the lettuce, the tomato, the onion go really well? And so it's the same thing with, you know, with marketing outside of that is you have to do the research and understand what are you doing and how are you tailoring this we can't skip step one so a long drawn out response to why we can't skip one It's good because
0: i think what where you where a lot of people see this is especially in technology where you've got these apps you've got all this stuff happening on your phone and the amount of research once again that has gone into your behaviors where you're going to click where we're going to put the button to the point where people feel almost a little bit like conspiracy theory about it, like they are reading my mind, they're listening to me. That's research. It's not, you know, we're not, nobody's listening to you. Maybe Alexa a little bit, but,
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. More, maybe a lot, but <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll
0: but it th- that feeling where they're reading my mind and they already know what I want before I even realize what I want That's the consumer research. That's knowing who your clients are and then aligning that with a product or a service that fits that need is research. It's not just like guessing and thinking you know it before you go into it.
1: Well, and I think leading into that as well, just kind of an additional thought is we like to prep our clients and say, because marketing can kind of feel a little not scary sometimes, but it kind of borders along the lines of, okay, how deep do we go into consumer research and are we making this better for consumers? You know, you know, like our marketers, the are we evil. the ones that are <laughs> yeah. evil because we're, are we the ones that are racking up credit card debt in America because we're placing good products in such great marketing? And the one thing that makes me sleep at night, I guess, just kidding now, what we tell our clients is you have to look at it as the research that you're doing is building a better product for your consumers. And so you're just building an overall better process, better strategy, better system for your client. And so what you're selling them is a need that they have, but you're building the best experience possible. And through that research, that's what that's what happens. So that's what I always like to tell people is it can feel kind of like, not slimy, but a little, we're digging into this, Are we? is this ethical? And as long as you're focused on building a better product and a better experience for your consumer, I, I think that's the shift in mindset that you have to have.
0: And that's where Seth Godin talks about, too, is you have to be making things better. You have to be solving those problems. And I feel like that aligns so easily with lawyers and law firms. You know, they are not just selling a widget. They are really honestly and truly helping people fix problems in their lives or do things better, but absolutely solving problems and unmet needs. So it's not just like, hey, here, here's another little plastic thing from China that I want to sell you. It's I, you have a problem and I'm here to f- help you solve it.
1: Yeah. And I think positioning goes into that as well, which kind of goes into the guiding policy is... You know, the perfect example, Better Call Saul versus Suits. I mean, people are probably going to get tired of hearing this. But <laughs> That's all right. It, it's, I'm so glad. It'll like, be it memorable. Just makes me happy. It makes me happy. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you think about the two experiences, if you think about it from a client's perspective, if we were to hire Better Call Saul... I'm assuming we'd walk into his office at the nail salon and you know the the couch probably stinks, and like we probably wouldn't sticky. even be at the <laughs> office. Yeah, and he'd probably pull out a bottle of water from his mini fridge that he keeps his you know everything in. And so that experience, you know that that might appeal towards a certain client, which doesn't make it bad. like that's the client. And so on the suits approach as well, You've got the same thing. You've probably got an executive assistant that meets at the door. you've got an office prepped with the logo of the company that you're meeting with, and you've got the you know the nice bottled water. It's probably Essentia. it's not a de- dece like those types of things. And so it, it and neither of those are bad approaches as long as it fits within what your clients are looking for because you don't want to have the better call saw positioning and focus on having the suits experience, you're not going to drive the right clientele and vice versa. And so I think little shifts in positioning and where you're looking at the the actual policy side, are you doing the right actions, even the little things as the right placements of products, the right actual products in your firm, are you positioned properly for your, your target client?
0: And this, I think that's such a great example and visual because this is, positioning is where, it makes all of those decisions easier. So as you're deciding, okay, can I just go pick up that couch that I saw in the alley that's sort of, you know, 40 years old and sticky and throw that in my lobby, will that work or not? And if you have that Better Call Saul positioning, fine. Like it doesn't, that does not matter to that client if you have the suits positioning and you're in some like glass tower in a downtown metropolis and you throw that disgusting couch in your lobby, think about how weird that's going to feel to a client who walks in. But it's the same for all of those marketing decisions. You know, I've, I can't tell you how many websites I've seen where the beginning and the main heading area starts out strong. And then as I scroll, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> what is this weird <laughs> icon? What yeah. are they doing there has nothing to do with the feeling and the look that I had up at the top so once again it makes all of those decisions easier where you look at that positioning you've defined that you kind of create this template and then you're saying okay as I make these future decisions let me hold it up against that and does that do they line up or does that seem really wrong and off
1: yeah and I think I mean the piece of that too perfect example diving further into that is yeah, that's where all these guiding policies really come into play together. And that's why you have to you have to build the strategy from the ground up. Because if you think about it, let's say you hire a Facebook ad strategist. All they do is Facebook ads. They're incredible at driving Facebook ads, driving Facebook leads, call to actions, those types of things. So they've set up these perfect ads that are driving to your law firm website. Now let's say your your legal website is from two thousand and two, so <laughs> you know you've HTML. got you've HTML <laughs> yeah. and it pops yeah. up with a big picture and it has text on the picture for the first time and like
0: spinning hamsters yeah
1: spinning <laughs> hamsters and then the wheel pops up that says enter our newsletter and win a giveaway and you know and then they you go to the you go to the headshots and it's from like the sixty year old firm owner he's twenty one in the picture and so now <laughs> he's from like you law know, school yeah he's from law school and <laughs> yeah. you know the text says on there you know, the text says on there that, you know, this is our experience and it doesn't have anything. So you've driven all these Facebook leads and uh, done all this stuff. And then at the end of the day, they go to the website and now they're not gonna actually take action because the website is just not good. But then on the flip side, if if you develop and you hire this perfect website designer that's building this website that has scroll images and parallax and everything, but then your Facebook, you're trying Facebook ads on your own that aren't tailored you're not even getting people to the website now. You know, you you have this great website, but you don't have the actual ads to drive them in. So, it that cohesive strategy, it it as easy as just to think about, "Oh, I just need more leads. I need more Facebook ads. I need more it all comes together to where it's it has to be a cohesive strategy."
0: Yeah. Okay, so so I feel like that leads into the third Whatever we're calling these things, coherent Phase. actions. <laughs> yes. Phase okay.
1: element three. Element three. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. this, is, this is what everyone's been waiting for outside the book recommendation, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah, this is everything. We're leading up
0: to the book re- recommendation eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, guys. Okay. We're getting there. So that, that kind of what steps into the three, the coherent actions of what are the actual actions that you need to be taking and what are the timelines and milestones that we need to hit? Because as you know, there's a couple different variables that come into play you have to make sure that you account for different variables that come into play. Let's say you're planning to have a photo shoot and you want a nice photo shoot for your clients, and then that leads into, well, now we can develop social media posts that are actually focused on you know, content around us, and it's not just stock images or just icons or anything like that. But let's say someone gets sick, now the photo shoot gets back, moved back two weeks. There's so many moving parts to a marketing strategy that you have to be- set benchmarks and say, we're gonna hold ourselves accountable to this, but the strategy has to be flexible at the same time. because you never know when the economy hits differently and and there's so many different pieces that have to be taken into account so what we do in that coherent policy or the current actions is what actions do we need to take in the next quarter you know the next four quarters but quarterly and monthly what things are we going to put in place and then what things are are we able to pivot on if something ever happens so oh so where's our
0: flexibility yeah
1: where's our flexibility because nice. let's say you know because think about it like during november there's like things that we don't think about so november ads you've got election season ads are going to be much more expensive the the numbers that we're going to see they're going to it's going to be harder to advertise it's harder to get things approved things are just a little bit more expensive and then think about december now you've got shopping season and so we can build this plan off of our thoughts okay quarter one we're going to do x quarter two we're going to do this quarter three well if we're in january and we're forecasting quarter four to be our big advertising month we get to quarter four and say wait, hold on, we got to we got to we got to prepare for this, this might not perform as well as we think. And so as much as you can plan for that in advance, there's certain things that you don't think about, or there are certain things that you really don't, I, when you get granular in the details, you start building that out, you get to the point, and say, we need to pivot here, we need to prepare for this. And so I think that makes a big strat, big piece of the strategy is, we want to set timelines, we want to set accountability. But at the same time, we have to be flexible. Because if we just try to cram all of this and do it at the same time, it's not going to work.
0: And force it. Because I think that's really important and such a critical piece for people to focus on, that piece of flexibility. Because, you know, you can plan as much as you want, but you never know exactly how things are gonna to play out. I use the example all the time. I, you know, was talking to clients towards the end of 2019, planning for 2020. There's no way our marketing plans had Any accountability for us all working from home and trying to homeschool our kids that year. (laughs) And so, and the messaging changed significantly. I was talking to someone who was talking to high level messaging experts that were like in Fortune 500 companies and talking about the shift of focus and attention in 2020 went from profit and response and all of this stuff. To the number one thing people cared about was their community, knowing that their families were taken care of. Profit seemed, profit and talking about, you know, discounts and all that, that seemed offensive. And so any messaging work that people had done at the end of 2019 needed to be scrapped, basically. And if you don't have that flexibility built in, you're going to falter and make huge mistakes where, you know, that's, that's going to make you look really bad. <laughs> I know.
1: And that's the thing. I think that's where you have to be prepared to pivot because if you're so focused on just, hey, we've built this plan, it's going to work really well. The companies that are pushing out the profit side, I mean, they're going to get slammed at that point, you know? And so you also have to think about it from like a PR standpoint. And that's where I think, you know, guiding to the entire, like, why is a marketing strategy important? Why do we have to look at the anatomy of it? Why, why do we have to look at the different pieces? Because we're looking at it from a holistic approach that there has to be flexibility, there has to be buffer built in for PR. There's so many moving parts that as a firm owner, as a as a as someone at a firm, those types of things, unless you have an internal marketing department, you can't do that on your own. I mean, you can and power to you if you can. But from a marketing expert, I mean, that's that's practically like walking into court unprepared, hoping that we're just going to as questions come up we're going to prepare for those when they're answering it and let's hope that that works you know it and someone might be able to pivot you know you might have someone that's really good at articulating words very last minute and you'll have those anomalies but i think the the basis of it is that's the 1% that you can't base all of your decisions off that 1%. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay, i feel like this is a good moment to shift to the book review. <laughs> the, the part everyone has been waiting for. Can we put
1: this behind a paywall? Because I think this is really important.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know.
1: I, uh, I should. Yeah. That, yeah.
0: After, <laughs> after you trademark the Suits versus <laughs> it's Better Call Saul option, I'll put this behind a, a paywall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gosh, that's yeah, terrible.
0: So what's the book?
1: The book is drum good. roll. I
0: should I should add the drum roll. I, I know they have sound effects in here somewhere, but by the time I find them, it's going to be too late. <laughs>
1: it, it'll just leave like 10 minutes later. I finally reveal the book. Yep. I just go. I just keep walking around the market on the anatomy of a marketing strategy over, and over. <laughs> kind now,
0: of missed the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the book is written by Richard Remolt and his book is called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy.
0: Oh, that sounds like it ties right in.
1: (laughs) It does. It's amazing. He wrote it just for us on this podcast. Perfect. Uh, So, One of the things that, one of the key elements that I love about it is he talks about like a paragon of organizational strategy is he walks readers through like the many landmines that lie in wait during leaderships and how the missteps that they can take in strategy. Because at its core, strategy is like the identification of critical factors in the situation. And then it's outside of that, it's a skillful design of coordinated actions to deal with said factors.
0: Okay, so, let it, let's let go back because that I feel like was a really important part. The strategy is the identification of critical factors in a situation. Okay, so figuring out not just what's happening, but what are the critical factors?
1: And then outside of that, the skillful design of a natural coordinated action to deal with those said factors.
0: Oh, that's good. Yep. Yeah, I love because
1: that. what it does is it re- requires awareness of one's resources and capabilities, and a sharp understanding of one's industry and its surrounding space. Because that's where you can pivot.
0: That's so good because I can't tell you the number of firms that I talk to where they are either in a big city or they're just outside of a big city. There's they're you know small to mid size, and they don't want to go head to head with these giant firms because first of all. their budgets aren't the same. And second of all, they do different things and they have a different approach. And so this is how you do that. This is how you figure out, okay, where do I fit in this market in a unique place? That's different from that. And how do I carve out my own strategy where I'm doing my own thing and I'm not trying to compete with them? They're doing a totally different thing. They have a totally different approach. And my marketing budget is going to align with what I need, not what, you know, wh- where I'm just trying to chase them.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. And that's where, I mean, that's why I'm such a big proponent of the book because, you know, something that he says, direct quotes, I'm going to pull for the book is while there is so there's so much to learn, fundamentally strategy is a very difficult legwork and not easily replaced with template style vision building or any other form of pseudo strategy. And that's where, you know, kinda like what we talked about in our company, the template based strategy, it, it sounds great in, in perspective, but it doesn't take into account all the different factors that we discussed, all the environmental factors, all the little things that we don't take into account. And that's why like defining a good strategy versus a bad strategy is so, so important. And that's where like this book, you have to read it if you don't. Yeah, it sounds so
0: good. (laughs) The idea of a template based strategy is kind of an oxymoron because trying to apply, it, trying to be unique and have your own strategy and then apply it within a template. Like what is what (laughs) How does that even make any sense? Like that's the opposite of what you're trying to do there.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. So that's where I would that's where like it, it becomes such a big piece because the template-based strategies, they're cheaper, they're easier, but there's a reason why everything is cheaper, easier. And while it might be better for a firm that's just starting and they don't have the resources to invest, you, you have to be so careful because even the little things that you do when you're starting out and you make the wrong decision, they're gonna affect you in the long term.
0: Yeah, it's exponential. And I would argue that strategy is even more important when you're starting out to get you on the right path and just kind of get the growth off in the right direction. Because you always think you're going to have time down the road to come back and do it the right way, where that never happens. It's starting out and investing appropriately and doing it the right way the first time is going to pay off so many times over in the long term so i I really think that you know doing the strategy right from the beginning is is critical it's like a good foundation of a house like you you know you don't want to have to go back and rebuild the walls (laughs) like come
1: on yeah and you you don't want to the one thing that i think marketing gets overlooked is It's like if you were building a custom house and you overlook like, okay, so the plumbing, you don't see the plumbing. You don't like you flush the toilets, you turn on the water, you do the shower, but like it doesn't really matter where they go. And maybe we don't need this specific pipe and maybe we can cut out some things and it doesn't affect the overall look of it. But on the back end like and when you're not getting water to your shower and that's like the you know like what you need or
0: the toilet's not yeah, flushing the toilet's correctly fleshing, it's backing a problem. up
1: because <laughs> no. re- you you used the PVC pipe that wasn't that wasn't could not handle or you had some guy that kind of knew how to do PVC pipe but he wasn't a plumber like it works for a minute but then the minute that it goes wrong now you've got to tear up you know, flooring. And so now, like, if you think about it from a resource perspective, especially in marketing, when you're investing in this and you're going with maybe the easier option, the cheaper option, it might seem good in the in the short run, hey, it's gonna work really well with our budgets, it's gonna work well with what we need. If you go down the wrong direction, you find the wrong person, when that, when that pipe burst or that marketing strategy doesn't work, not only do you have to pull back and look at where that came from and spend a bunch more time and money looking at that, but now you've got to rebuild it from scratch. So you're you're burning it from the ground, and then you have to rebuild it. So that's oh, where. Oh yeah,
0: I just really keep uh, wanting to say the word shit show. Like yes, same. with the relationship, I didn't know of... <laughs> what.
1: what so I, I avoided that <laughs> I, I term. Think but, I, yeah, that's okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like it ties in perfectly with the plumbing and the backing up, and then like ha- hiring the wrong person and having to redo all of that. It's just such a literal mess in either situation that you don't want to do. You you don't want to deal with. Like it's just ugh, yuck, gross, all the way around.
1: (laughs) If I I had to make one more point, like my last point ever, like my dying point, would be that's where that's where it comes into play of who you hire is so important, especially on the marketing side, because you want to research, you want to do your due diligence just like you do for your clients, and so what are the parameters that you're setting for your marketing consultant or the company that you're hiring and what are they actually going to deliver what what are their experiences and not just hiring the first person that comes across the way and that's what we tell our clients is vet us vet our work look at other options if you want like don't just hire the first person that comes across that has a good idea. Like look at the overall overarching plan as well.
0: So I was going to ask you, what is one thing that you know that works? Is that what you would say? That's that what that I would hire- say.
1: I, 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 I jumped ahead and I, I skipped that question. So that's yes. okay.
0: Okay. So one thing that you know that works, hire the right person. Vet all the different options. Know what you're getting yourself into. Is Any other kind of tips about around that?
1: I would really look to, I mean, it's, some people might disagree with this, but I would really look at the educational side of things and look at you know not education is not everything. it's not you know how many companies you've worked with it it all it's all relative. so I, I can't say specifically look at the education. But one thing I would say is when you're hiring a marketing firm, there's so much BS out there and there's so much, especially in the marketing space, that you have to be so careful. And so not only when you're vetting client or vetting agencies or vetting entrepreneurs or whoever is going to be doing your stuff, it's really important to look at their past history as well, especially educationally. Have they just watched YouTube University and figured out how to do it and this is their first year? Or do they have like the actual educational background or the MBA? And not that that's everything because I know a lot of people that have gone through MBAs that I you don't know hire. how they got, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. And, I mean, same could be said about me. Maybe someone feels that way, but that's the one thing is I think there's so many pieces and not just, hey, we got... X, You know, we got this law firm 3000 clients for 50 bucks per like, there's so many variables. And there's so much BS being thrown out of here's how we for help this firm do this. It's a one time situation. We have so I'm sure you do. You have those anomalies where just everything fits together, everything works really well. And if we started promising our clients that we got them a 500% return on investment for this client, we can't guarantee that. And so that's where you can't, you can't base all your decisions off of how someone helped one person. And now that's going to help you. If there's, if there's a magic button that you could press, everyone would have it. And so that's what that's what I would say. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Okay, hire the right person, do the vetting, take a look at like what their experience in education is. Cause I know both of us have MBAs and it does give you a different approach. We do look at things on a different level, theoretically and practically, not just the tactics of like, let's just throw everything at it and see what works. There is something too understanding those those principles and theories and, and you know, all the case studies that we had to read. That was so fun. <laughs> yes,
1: I know. So that's where that's, awesome. I think it's so important. So that's maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, too. But from my perspective, that's what I would recommend.
0: <laughs> no, I would almost cut that part out because absolutely, you know what you're talking about. You've got an MBA, you've got clients, you know what you're what, what the what. The has jury's still out on the
1: clients. clients. <laughs> maybe maybe I lied to you about the clients. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, all
0: right. We're going to assume that you still have had the clients and you Great. know what you're talking about. You've got. All the MBA okay so Caleb Roach is the owner and strategist at C Roach Consulting and this these are the pieces of a marketing strategy this is what you need to do don't skip step one as we said you know countless times. But also consider that positioning. Think in terms of visually, in terms of suits versus Better Call Saul, which is apparently trademarked. And do some research in terms of like how this all works and all the steps that you need to do in order to set that solid foundation of strategy and really get your marketing off to the right start. So thank you so much for being here. I feel like that was a great conversation and this is going to be really well received.
1: No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.